In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Repent. That is what our texts call us to do this morning, to repent. In fact, when the kingdom of God is preached in the New Testament, it is accompanied with this action of repentance. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's not a provisional statement, but essential to the good news of the kingdom. And we hear them together so often that it's easy to rightly associate repentance in the kingdom without really taking time to think about what the juxtaposition of these two terms really means. Why is repentance good news? Why is the good news of the kingdom tied to repentance? After all, the good news is also delivered in terms of freedom. In the Benedictus, Zechariah rejoices by exclaiming that God has come to his people and set them free, free to worship him without fear. This sounds much more like a celebration than self-reprimanding, and we would be right to question why this freedom is in the same package as repentance. So let's think about repentance. In fact, repentance is an action by which we are bound. We lose the freedom to blame the external for our own shortcomings. External forces, external actions, other people. And we have to take the responsibility for ourselves. Repentance has no caveats, no provisos, no fine print. It is a pure, unfiltered declaration that I am wrong, and I turn to God. At its core, repentance loses any notion of them versus us. In the midst of our problems, when we repent, we can't anymore talk about what they did or what has been done to us or what the circumstances were. It isn't an issue of what is happening to us, but what has already happened by us. Israel is never called to repent and turn to God by telling God what their oppressors are doing. And they were being oppressed. When John and Jesus step onto the scene, there's plenty of blame to go around. Greece and Rome had subjugated the Jews and had crushed several attempts at what they called rebellion, but what the Jews thought were means by which to establish God's kingdom on earth. There was plenty being done to them, and the kingdom of God was supposed to come and fix that, to right that. Why were they called to repent? If anything, the message of repentance should have been going out to the Romans, not God's subjugated people. But they were not called to list out what was done to them. They were not called to list not called to list out what was happening to them. They were called to repent of what they had done. In fact, when the Jews who adhered to the law in the strictest of senses came to John the Baptist, the Pharisees, he referred to them as a brood of vipers. Say what you want about the Pharisees and Jesus. They knew their law, and they stuck to it very strictly. Of course, part of the reason they were repenting was because judgment was to come. And in judgment, you are not going to be able to position yourself against anyone else. You stand in front of your God, and have to account what you have done. And so there's a real desire to get your orders in affair before the trial commences. That's the story of Nineveh. And as the prophet Jonah tells us, every last person in Nineveh repented and turned. And there wasn't even a call to repentance. They simply responded to judgment in that way. But repentance can't simply be fear-based. It can't simply be about responding, hoping that we get out of jail free. Jesus' message boiled down was this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the reaction to what God is doing. Repent. We get no indication that this message changes. That's how Mark summarizes the message. Um, Matthew summarizes it similarly. And Jesus, later in the Gospel of Luke, talks about repenting or people will perish. See, there's a gap between us and the kingdom of God. 
And if we don't recognize that difference, we can't possibly continue in the way of making the kingdom of heaven known. Repentance is the process by which we leave behind our flawed methods of trying to make the world better or perhaps worse, and we step into the work of Christ in redeeming the world. Repentance, like salvation, is not only about what God will do in the future, but about what God is doing and wants to do right now. Because the kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of earth. And the way in which we want to live is that is the kingdom of earth, whereby we accomplish our goals top-down, where we try and grab at power, and we try to exert ourselves against others. The kingdom of earth is trying to accomplish goals through earthly means, through copies of heavenly things. And I'm borrowing language from Hebrews here, which speaks to the differences between true things and copies. Where Christ advocates for us now is different than where sacrifices were made on earth. The copies, the temple, is not nothing. In fact, the temple is incredibly important. It's just insufficient, simply an echo of what is the most true and most real. And one of the chief ways that I think we are called to repent in light of kingdom season is their manner in which we have accepted the copy of human rulers in place of the lordship of our king. Our allegiance is not and has never been to political parties, ideologies, or presidents. Our hope has never sat in the White House and never will. In case I'm not being clear enough, let me say it more plainly. The election of Barack Obama to a second term to the presidency will not thwart the kingdom of God. No matter how you feel about the outcome of the most recent presidential election, centering your life around the outcomes of American politics is centering your life around a lesser hope of a lesser ruler. Political actions have real consequences, just like the priests in the Old Testament made sacrifices that had real consequences. Their sacrifices weren't nothing. But in light of Christ, they are secondary, tertiary. It's too easy to hope in earthly rulers and to give the role of the church over to the government. For example, it may be true that a perfectly just society does not have women terminating pregnancies. But this morning, we're called to repent. Repent of the ways in which maybe we've championed pro-life causes while allowing young women in our own backyards to be faced with the difficulty of a new life that they can neither properly raise, care for, or afford with no help in sight from the ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom. Our Eucharistic prayer guides our thinking. We don't pray, let gas prices go down, let the middle class be stable, and may this country remain a global superpower. We pray, bless the earth, heal the sick, let the oppressed go free. And so in this post-election Sunday, whether we sit in political victory or defeat, our only true triumph is in how we as a church have lived out that calling. And where we don't live up to that reality, where this is not the cry of our hearts, we repent. If we buy into the notion that the good of the world happens primarily through the government rather than the church, we have bought the copy instead of the reality. We have assumed that Christ handed over the keys of the kingdom to an earthly ruler who lives in Washington in the District of Columbia. Again, our prayers inform our theology. This morning's colic puts the priorities in the right order. We pray that those earthly powers would be subject to Christ, that the copies would emulate the archetype, and we place our hope in the archetype. Let's be clear, no matter what the outcome was in last week's election, our goal has not changed, nor has our calling. That we would be the people of God, serving the world, ushering in Christ's kingdom. This happens to some degree through politics, but it happens more so on the ground, in neighborhoods, in communities, in the day-to-day interactions that you have with those around you at home and at work. 
That is what we need to repent for, how we have failed to make Jesus known in our own backyards, how we have allowed a narrative of them versus us to dominate our thinking and our actions. The only us and them we should be concerned about is those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ yet. All things will come under Christ's rule, and we repent for the ways that we haven't made it so and for the ways that we haven't even wanted to make it so, where our priorities have been flawed and where our outlook needs to be changed. But we do not point the finger. When we accept earthly copies as substitutes for heavenly rulers, disastrous consequences happen. That, in fact, is the very nature of idolatry, worshiping the created rather than the creator. Today, if we were living in Canada, we would be celebrating or honoring Remembrance Day. It's Veterans Day here in the United States. The yearly remembrance of those who fought and died, particularly in the First World War. Nearly 1% of the Canadian population died during that time. In Canada, we wear poppies on that day, hearkening back to a poem written by Lieutenant Colonel John McRae after burying one of his friends in Flanders Fields. It reads as follows. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields." I love this poem, and I hate this poem. I love how it briefly yet powerfully illustrates the suddenness of death and the shortness of life, especially death and war. But I hate how it perpetuates the cycle of destruction, that our battles must continue on past our deaths by those who follow. War sometimes must happen, but they're never an outcome that we desire. Peace is what we desire. Righteous causes are not. Our desire cannot be for earthly victory, especially when our earthly kingdoms are as temporary as our own lives in light of our king and his kingdom. Perhaps this morning we should think, if five years from now the United States of America didn't exist, could we still be happy and serve our king? Are our politics, is our desire to have a stable middle class and live in the top 2% of the entire world more important to us than whether or not we've loved and served our neighbors? Is our desire for our children that they grow up and go to good schools or that they love Jesus and serve him? This must be a question we all have to ask ourselves. It is customary on Remembrance Day to take a minute of silence at 11, 11 a.m. to honor the dead. And so I'd like to close by combining two events that fall on this Sunday in a moment and ask you for a minute that, because I don't preach long enough, won't be 11, 11, but it's close enough to take a minute of repentance We as a church, as much good as we do, have failed those who we have been charged to serve. We continue to pursue God's kingdom by the ways of the world, and in order for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven and be its ambassadors, we must repent. We must turn from the ways that lead to death, the ways of division, and instead long for the complete and total rule of Christ. That repentance takes us from our own pathways and joins us with Christ. That is how repentance is tied to the kingdom in the ways in which we say no longer by our own means, but by God's means are we going to try and make this world as we think it should be. Only as we repent of the ways we think it should be and start to think about it the way God thinks it should be. To long for his work in subjugating the whole world to himself and looking for his coming in glory and to turn from our ways to his ways 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel.